Hi, I'm Coach Debbie Voiles, and I'm an old crazy runner. Welcome to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. This is Fundy, the craziest of the crazy runners, and I've got my cousin Nicholas, by far the oldest of crazy runners. And you're going to want to stick around today for birthday girl coach Debbie Voiles from the human race and run Tampa. But before we get into it, be sure to rate and review the podcast. We love the five-star reviews and we love your comments. So take a moment and let us know how we're doing. And while you're at it, go by Strava. Join the old crazy runners podcast Strava Run Club, where you will see Andrew Glaze, who has now set his mark at 131 consecutive weeks of running 100 miles or more. And the last two weeks, he did it by running 100.1. Exactly. So I have a question. Yeah. At what week do we just kick him out of the run club? Oh, so we, he's we at 131 kick- weeks. At what week we'd be like, you just, you, you need a different club. I think when he, when he breaks his streak and he's no longer worthy, then, then we kick him out. Because... Well, and, and Mark Scott was right behind him with 90.4 miles. Oh, man. Well, I looked at his 100.1 uh, last week, and in order to get there, he ran 9.7 miles at 4 a.m. on Sunday, which yeah. would be my Sunday. And yeah. then, uh, nah, then he had to run another three and a half at, at six o'clock. So that, uh, that determination, and I don't know uh, when somebody's actually going to uh, eclipse him, but um, I, I believe it is going to be Mark Scott if anybody does. Maybe, that, maybe Mark's looking. Maybe he's looking. Maybe he's, he's uh, watching Andy. Maybe that's his goal. Oh, man. Well, not only that, but he put in over 20, almost 21,000 feet of vert. I don't know what that man does. Obviously, he doesn't work. <laughs> he gets up, he drives to the mountains, and then he runs in circles up and down hills, and then he's just, like, thrilled. I don't know. Oh, man. So uh, I don't know whether to applaud him or contact his boss and say, hey, man, I don't know if you know this, but your employee's just running all day. That is uh, uh, a sight to behold. And you know it's just in shorts and nothing else. Nothing else. He's doing the sweaty, Scott. You know who else is running a bunch? 84-year-old Barbara Thackeray from the UK. Okay, first of all, is there any more UK last name than Thackeray? I don't think so. Well, maybe White. White. <laughs> Chris White. Um, so 84-year-old woman, Margaret Thackeray. So this is, this is my favorite thing, is everybody's like, you know, we have friends that are our age, and, and they you know, say, wow, wow, how do you run so much? You're like, you just start running and you keep running. Oh, I'm too old. She started when she was 77. Started. Yeah, just started running when she was 77. And now every single weekend she does a charity 10K. And so, and now she is 84, is that correct? Is that what you said? She is 84 now, yep, yep. So she's been uh, running for seven years. So 84-year-old, every single weekend, runs out, uh, knocks out a six-mile run every weekend. Every weekend. Every weekend. Yeah. And I saw a video of her. She's clipping along pretty good. Well, I, I would imagine so if you've kept your body in shape that you can run every single weekend. I mean, that's, that's one of the things. It, it, it's, it's not that it's this huge 
volume, I mean six miles once a week, that's great. But uh, at that age, to do that week in, week out, you've got to, you know, what, what it takes to maintain that is important. That's going to keep her monthly miles up. I don't think she's going to get quite to that 100 um, that, that Andrew puts up there. My miles have been, uh, I could get to start tapering around the last, around the downside oh, so of the exciting. marathon. So be- remember that? Before we get to your tapering, um, yeah. uh, Barbara has some words of wisdom for you oh. on, on why running is, is important. Yes. What is that? I think it enables us to keep our body going. <laughs> keeping our body going has kept us keeping our body going and enabling oh, that body going. Yeah, that's I want to go have a pint with her. Yeah. Yeah, you are excited. You get to taper. I know. It's, <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, man, I only have to run 12 miles this weekend. Yeah. Last weekend was like, oh, my God, I got to run 12 miles. It almost killed me. Oh, that's right. You ran that 12. Uh, it did kill Chris. He didn't, he didn't make it through. Oh, yeah, he was hurting. He was hurting. Well, he yeah, didn't have – you know why? Uh, he packed too much sand? No. He wasn't running with power. Oh, oh man. <laughs> he gets it, though. One of these days, you're going to stop asking me, what my, what, what's your pace goal? I don't know. I have no idea. I will oh. say, though, that uh, I, it did uh, remind me that I need to go into my workout for the marathon. And, you know, I need to set things like my low-end threshold for the first mile or two. I got to drop that way down because, you know, it's all crowded and there's times you walk. And I don't want the stupid go faster in my ear. Obviously, yeah, I, want I honestly don't think I could have alerts going during a run. I think it would bug me too much. Um, and I'm also pretty good at looking at my watch. I, I just have a habit of looking at my watch and checking on the data. Um, and I have well, my old people contact so I can see my watch and read it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the stride does a great job with that as well. And I'm constantly looking down uh, to make sure I'm in my zone. But I will tell you what has um, been a very positive aspect of having the audio cues is uh, so there's two that you can get within stride. And one of them is as soon as you go outside of what you say you want to run high or low, you get this little chime. And that's annoying. I've turned those off. But if you are outside of your zone for like 10, 15 seconds consecutively, then you get this speed up or slow down. And my goal has been to eliminate those. So over a five-mile run, you know, that just maintains the consistency, gets me, you know, really learning my own body. I know that I'm in my zone, so I know what that I have that comparison point because I haven't heard it. I don't have to check. Uh, But it is also super handy when you – don't realize you've pushed just a little farther than you expect. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, Hey, pull it back. Um, so I'm looking forward to having that cue, uh, for the, the marathon. It's been really helpful in, in staying the course. And to that end, I need to go into my workout and adjust those so that I'm, um, where I want to be within the race, you know, ticking that up, making sure I keep in the pace. So I have an example of uh, Stridus off its fucking rocker. They're okay. smoking. I don't know what they're smoking, but they're smoking the good stuff. So I put in the Portland Marathon. Um, well, first of all, I, I've been using the Stride since when June. So I've got my ninety days in. Oh yeah, it should be. Yeah, I've got in. my ninety days. Actually, maybe before that. Um, 
So I got that in. So it's been auto calculating my power. And I uploaded the actual race of Portland Marathon to a race and put it in there. And it's telling me that I can run the Portland Marathon or half marathon at 285 watts. Okay. So uh, last, this last Wednesday, two days ago, I did five miles at, uh, let's see, what was my average watts? Where is that? At 268, so almost 20 watts less. Right. That was fucking killed me. <laughs> so what's going to happen? That was done after five what's miles. Gonna, what's going to happen is you're going to run what you can actually run, and it's gonna, it'll correct, and uh, I, I think your wattage is going to dive on you after. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, what's going to happen is I'm going to get a notification after I'm done, and Stride's going to be like, yeah, we were smoking the good stuff. <laughs> Your accounts been canceled. We're gonna adjust our expectations. We don't know what's going on. Uh, it, it's it's interesting. I'm curious to see what happened. I was trending um, at uh, critical power of 316, and I think what happened was right after Hood to Coast. So Hood to Coast had all three legs as races, and they were for me. They turned out to be basically 10ks all three. Yeah, and you know for a 10k, it's expecting me to run it at 100 percent plus. Of yeah. my critical power. Well, it doesn't know that by the third one, I've only slept for two hours and I'm cramped <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I didn't run it as well as it had said. And now it, it like within a couple of days, it dropped it from 316 to 312. Yeah. And uh, I think it's because it was looking at those as three individual races that I would just run as if I had started yeah. fresh. And um, it's, I thought it would, self-correct after a few days but it's still just sitting there 312 sitting i'm like there. no yeah that's not that's not where i'm at so i think uh uh similarly you came out and crushed it on your hood to coast and then it might have a little bit of a hangover there thinking that you've got more in the tank than you do i think i know what i'm doing when i don't know what i'm doing is that what it's thinking well that and also i don't i don't you know, it, you're not training specifically using the stride i think it makes a big difference if you you know stick to that that's what you run, but whatever, get out there and yeah. get it done. You know? Yeah. I'm just kind of, I mean, we've, we've been moving. We've got about a million things going on. I'm just trying to get my runs in. That's my goal is to get my training runs in whatever yeah. they work out to be. They work out to be. And it's going to be a, a fantastic race. I mean, the weather right now is just starting to come into view with the two weeks out and it's going to be spectacular. And the course is great. I know that we talked about, you know, you're like, Hey, well, we're in the first part of the course together. Like, no, we won't. You guys deviate one block into the race. You guys take a left, and we don't. Didn't know that. I thought yeah. it was like the Eugene where you ran the first half together, and then you split. No, nothing like yeah. that at all. Uh, it's, unfortunately, the best way to do it because it means you get to run what is our second half through the, yeah. the uh, Selwood district and all that. And, it's, yeah. it's a, it's and a it makes it less crowded course. for the marathon people so they don't have to deal with all the yahoos running the half, which – in in the Eugene, there was a lot of yahooiness during the first five miles. Yeah, like it and, took five or six miles to get past the yahoos. Yeah, and in in the Portland, that's when you're in the more crowded part of the city as well. So I, all told, yeah. it's the best choice. Unfortunately, we don't get much of a chance to uh, to run side by side, and you're not going to catch up to me. <laughs> no, no, probably at won't. Any point, at any point, or I will not catch you. Is probably a, you will not a catch me. Yeah. I will. Yeah, I'll definitely beat you to the finish. You will. <laughs> definitely beat me to the finish. Even oh man, can you imagine? 
Well, I oh, actually I have a story. Okay. So I ran the Portland half with Bill one year, and I did. This is when I was first, like I was first starting to figure things out, and I think I finished in like a two o five or something like two o four or something like that. And Bill was he was not too far behind me. I think he finished in like a two eleven twelve third whatever it was. And he's coming in. He's coming towards the finish line. And he's, I don't know, he's 20, 30 yards out, and everybody starts cheering. So he's, like, raising his hands up. He's like, oh, thank you. And the full marathon guy just fucking flew, flew by him. It was the winner of the full marathon beat him just, just by 20 yards. Oh, man, that is so awesome. That's the best, too. He's like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Woo. Yeah. How'd you know I was finishing my first? Whoa, wait a minute. No, you're yelling at that guy. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. But oh, I was like, hey, I just own it. That Accept the praise. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the, the Eugene is the only half marathon I ran that was part of a marathon. All my other yeah. ones, they, that was the top end. Uh, and it's gotcha. interesting to run that combination. I, I, I kind of like it. Anyway, I'm looking forward yeah. to it. It's only a couple of weeks out. Before that, though, we got to make sure we uh, keep our kudos out. We got our Midwest crew. They're running their first marathon the week before. Yeah. Uh, they're gonna so set the bar are, for you they are they're just about 10 days out on that we'll, we'll get some more details on what's coming up yeah. although uh, they're in the midwest everything's just flat they're, it's like a cheating course probably oh it's to totally Portland. a cheater's course yeah <laughs> without without a doubt but uh they're gonna go out there and i want to see how um John Jervis's how his numbers match up against the stride because he's been much more in tune as, as i have oh yeah the uh he actually blows that out. He's a, he's a data junkie. Yeah, he certainly is. So today's guest had her birthday just this last week. I won't say which birthday because uh, she probably wouldn't like that. But if you go on Coach Debbie Voyle's Facebook page, there was a post made uh, from the human race. It looks like the opening of the human race documentary, you know, the grand opening. And it is her, Liz Vassie, Catherine Switzer, and Helene Neville. So all women in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they're all wearing pretty short skirt, one-piece dresses, and they all look fantastic. So if you want to know what running does, that's what it does. Yeah, definitely case in point, and shows the value of getting out there over the course of a, you know, a long running history. Uh, Coach Debbie Voyles is uh, founder of the Run Tampa Run Club. Uh, she has been coaching and helping countless individuals for decades in running 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. She is a fantastic voice if you want to just get out there and know what you can actually get done. This is a fantastic conversation, and you're going to love it. Let's get to it. Welcome, Coach Debbie Voiles. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And you know, you pronounced my name correctly. No one does that. Oh, oh, wow. So we didn't know we were smart. I guess we're smart, too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I consider that lucky. I just threw it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Coach Deb, uh, one thing you don't know is you are currently our most requested guest by our listeners. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that knocks me out. <laughs> so our listeners, our listeners out there, many of you have uh, seen Coach Debbie Voiles on the Human Race documentary, um, and we're super happy to have her here. Could you... Kind of take us back to 1977, 
um, you know, on your biography or, or your bio on your website, you talk about how you wanted to lose some weight after having a child and kind of take us back there and, and tell us how you started your running journey. Sure. Well, I was always really athletic growing up. I mean, I, I was one of those kids that I was outside from sunup to sundown. And my, my, in fact, we were always outside until like nine at night. My mom would drag us in, you know. So I was always playing. But it was football, building forts, skateboarding. I was a terrible runner. I, could, I played some baseball, but running, if I ran even a short distance, I'd have a cramp on my side. And then uh, in high school, I would, have, I would have been one of those athletes that played every sport year round, except I'm old enough. I'm 67. When I was in high school, you, had, you could be a swimmer or you could play tennis. And those were the only two sports for girls. So I swam. I grew up on a swim team. But I was never good at running. It, every time we had, we had to do the 600-yard walk run in PE. And it was always a disaster for me. <laughs> I dreaded it. You know, by the time I was one lap around, I was walking. I was in literally excruciating pain. Uh, you know, but they didn't teach us how to do it. They didn't have us warm up. They, you know, they, you went from walking to sprinting. And that's the only way we knew. So anyway, fast forward to I, I was in my early 20s and my daughter was born. And I was in good shape when she was born. But afterwards, I just, I had like 10 pounds that I just couldn't shake. And a, a friend came over who hadn't seen me in a while. And she actually said, I guess you're having trouble losing that baby. <laughs> what a horrible friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. Uh, and at the time, my brother was getting his master's in exercise physiology. And that was about the time of the first Ironman. And he was, he did it like the one in Hawaii, like the second or third year they ever had it. So he was my inspiration. And, um, you know, he could be out there riding his bike 200 miles a week and um, running, you know, I don't know, he's probably running 40 or 50 miles a week. Um, Then if I went out and did two or three miles, it didn't seem like that much. And, uh, and I just, I, I did it in a way that worked. And I coached that way ever since, which is, um, doing starting off with a walk run, and I didn't push myself until I was miserable. I just pushed myself till it got to be a struggle, and then I would repeat that. And I've been teaching people to run that way, you know, ever since I became a coach because it worked for me. And I, although I, my background was swimming, I fell in love with running. Uh, that was it, you know. And then I was a school teacher for 15 years. I coached the swim team. Then after I left teaching, uh, becoming a, a running coach was the perfect marriage of, of the things that I like most, teaching and my favorite sport. I still swim, but I much prefer running. Yeah. Swimming is a, obviously a fantastic exercise. I was, I swam for a short amount of time in my uh, teens, never really carried it forward. So I do appreciate that it is a, an amazing workout, uh, but you don't get to see a whole lot. <laughs> oh, that of, black line on the bottom, of, bottom the pool. of the pool. That's, that's about it. Uh, so it definitely lacks uh, that aspect to it. Uh, um, but man, that is uh, having to, although you know what is interesting, if you want to be a swimmer or a runner you, and you want to be good at either one of those, you'd better be prepared to get up at four o'clock a lot. Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, I, I'm curious a little bit. You mentioned that when you uh, were first in, you know, running as a, uh, a high schooler and, and get, just getting started, the, the challenge with the pain and the struggle and just the cramping and that sort of thing. 
What do you think was the transition for you when it started to become more comfortable to actually push your body to more distant, uh, longer distances? I think for me, I mean, I didn't run by longer distances. Do you mean like a couple of miles? Yeah. I mean, um, really looking at, you know, 5k up to maybe even a 10k, I mean, something where you felt like you were you out on a run. None of that was too difficult once the pain stopped. And I, honestly, <laughs> I, I I, I always think back that maybe the reason the pain stopped was because when I was pregnant with Wendy, she kicked something back where it was supposed to be. And it was, I was fixed after I gave birth. <laughs> maybe you had a rib out or something that she put back in place for you. <laughs> she, she did a lot of kicking and uh, somehow I think maybe she may have just fixed me. But um, yeah, for me, it was just being my own boss and doing it my way instead of the way the high school coach was. And of course I wasn't on the, I wasn't trying to be on the track team or anything. It was just the regular PE when we were doing the, when they forced us to run, that, that was so bad for me. Uh, the coach probably a real running coach could have, could have probably helped me tremendously. But when I got around to starting running myself, I didn't push myself too hard. And, and that's what I taught everybody today. Most beginner runners, if they fail, it's because they try to go too hard too soon and either they get hurt or they absolutely hate it. Right. And you're not, you're not going to keep doing it if you don't like it. That's very true. So once you started running, you know, you've, you've been running for a very long time. If you started in 1977, I remember 1977 and it wasn't <laughs> yesterday. What has your, um, running career been like? Have you, you know, just been running a lot of 10 Ks, half marathons, full marathons? Like what is, what have been those little carrots that you put out in front of yourself to kind of keep going and keep moving and, and, and make it still be interesting after all of these years? Well, when my kids were, were young, uh, Wendy was my first and then Ben was born uh, three years later, it was just a matter of running to stay fit. I, I remember I was a stay-at-home mom for a little while until I became a teacher. And uh, I remember you didn't have these fancy jogging strollers now. I mean, they cost the jogging strollers they have now cost more than my first car. And yeah. they're nice. <laughs> so I had this, what they used to call them an umbrella stroller that you could fold up and put in your trunk. And I tried to run with Wendy in that. And that no way was yeah. that possible. So I would be so frustrated because I'd be at home and I couldn't find a way to run. But after David got home, he was very understanding. And I, but then those years, I was just, I wasn't running with anybody else. I wasn't running with a club. I was just running to stay fit. And I did, I always enjoyed sports, um, you know, so that was great. Um, but then when I became a teacher, when the kids, when my kids started schools, when I, I went to work as a teacher and teaching high school kids, is sometimes somewhat stressful. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've met high school kids. So many times I would come home and I would be on the verge of like, I would just feel like I was going to have a meltdown or explode or something because I was having such a stress attack. So I would just come in, put on my sneakers and go and run. And my husband learned very quickly, don't even talk to her until after the run. <laughs> and then when you're on the run, you can have that discussion that you want to have with the kid that gave you the aggravation that day or the kid's parents. You have this conversation in your head. You say exactly all the things you wanted to say that you couldn't actually say out loud in person. Yeah. And then their comeback is exactly what you want it to be. Yeah. You just you know, <laughs> you pretend. And I would do that. And three miles in, I, the orphan kicked in, I come home, I'm fine. 
Were there uh, possibly some four-letter words in those conversations while you're running? There always were four-letter words. <laughs> always. Um, but that really got me through so many times. And I think that's a health factor, you know, for anybody. Uh, no matter what they do for a living, they, everybody needs an outlet. And, um, and I, I, I just kept, that was my focus in my running uh, pretty much until uh, my son, who, who grew up swimming, when he, my whole, my social life was wrapped around him when he was swimming. We would go to different towns every weekend and be there overnight for swim meets and everything. Then he left for college and all of a sudden I felt kind of empty. I didn't have that much to do. I started focusing more on my running and um, eventually I, I decided, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a coach. I went and got certified after, I mean, I've been running over 20 years. And when I got my coaching certification, I was dumbfounded at how much there was that I could do to improve my running that I had no idea about. Right. Um, so that helped tremendously. Um, but most of those years, I was just doing 5K. You know, at my age, for so many years, running was just becoming popular in the 70s. And you had a choice. Most of the time, you could do a 10K or a marathon. So there was no one between. Um, and then eventually they started having 5Ks uh, and then half. But I was in my 50s before halves became popular. And uh, I never dreamed of doing a marathon back then. So then I did my first half when I was in my 50s. And I remember finishing the half and it was one where it was a point to point for half. It was the one they used to do here in Tampa. Or the marathoners would turn around at the halfway point and go back. And I'll never forget when I finished the first one, trying to wrap my mind around the <laughs> fact that these people are going to do it again. I, yeah. Yeah. But then, and I'm sure you've experienced it. You do. Then you go out on a run and do 14 and then maybe two, three weeks later you do 15 and all of a sudden it clicks and you realize, Oh, you can do anything if you just work up to it gradually. So then I did, uh, I did my first uh, marathon in 2007. Uh, it was really interesting because I did my first marathon in December of 2007. And then I had an opportunity to do the Boston Marathon in 2008 on a charity bid that was offered to me. And I, at the time, had shin splints and was barely running. But there was no way I was going to turn it down. So, of course, I did it. Yeah. So where was, was that first full marathon, uh, a Tampa marathon? Um, no, the first full one was in Jacksonville. Okay. The Jacksonville uh, marathon. I was wondering, because you said it was in December, and you don't want your first full marathon to be in December if you live in Oregon. Exactly. <laughs> Jacksonville is quite appropriate uh, in Florida. So I want to I take a second here to go back, because I, I, I want to make sure something didn't just slip through. You ran the Pasta Marathon for the very first time with shin splints. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, they weren't really <laughs> bad then, but they, yeah, I couldn't not do it. Oh, no, no, no. I, I absolutely agree. I just want to make sure we, we emphasize that the first time you <laughs> yeah. ran it, you completed it. Oh, by the way, I might have had shin splints. Well, wow. Nicholas, she's already admitted she's an old crazy runner. Exactly. So, <laughs> very, I mean, true. very true. Very uh, true. The... <laughs> Tepid sane runner passes on that Boston <laughs> yeah, Marathon exactly. because they've got a, a, a nagging injury. Uh, all right. So oh, it, it actually wasn't that bad during the marathon. It's just that the problem was I couldn't train. I couldn't do enough miles. Yeah. Right. You know? 
Yeah. So I, I assume you you just approached that marathon based on where you were at that point and brought that same mentality of you don't have to destroy yourself. You can finish if you pace and plan for it appropriately. Exactly. I, you know, a lot of times things happen and you maybe you have been training appropriately. I wasn't because I had no idea until three weeks out that I was going to have the chance to do it. But so often people have something come up before a marathon and they can either do it to finish or just abandon it. And I've had, uh, I've had injuries twice that where I was interrupted in my training before a marathon and only got to get back out on the road three weeks before the marathon. So you just, you change your mindset, right? You're not going hard. You're not going for a time, but you want to get out and enjoy it. Yeah, because even just finishing moving your body 26 miles is um, an incredible challenge in and of itself. No matter how you scale that back, you can't scale back 26 miles. Yeah, it's still 26. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's still, <laughs> Unfortunately, still, still it doesn't distance. get any shorter. <laughs> nope. Uh, so that kind of brings us up to 2010, which is when you started Run Tampa. Uh, you, you'd gotten certified. Uh, but even at that point before you got RRCA certified, you've got an, a breadth of coaching experience already. So you've you've already run that gamut of having to turn somebody from interest into um, excelling. Uh, so I'm kind of curious wow. to kind of talk about that a little bit. What are some of the um, really standout experiences you have with various athletes that you've coached where you went, I know you can get to a place that you don't believe you can. Well, most of my, I hadn't actually done any coaching for running until then, but of course I had lots of, I coached swim teams at two different high schools, uh, boys and girls. And that's where I had had most of my coaching experience. Although I would also certainly say that teaching English and, co- and uh, advice in the yearbook was in some ways very similar. To also coaching. coaching. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. I also definitely did a, a lot of, of coaching because, you know, and the critical thing always is to instill in them the belief that they can do it. I mean, that's, you know, you hear it all the time, but it's true. I'll never forget, we were, uh, we were, on, we were on a bus on the way to a swim meet here in Tampa. And I was sitting in the front seat. The coach was always sat behind the bus driver. And I was turned around chatting with two uh, girls in the seat behind me. And one of them was the 50-yard freestyle sprinter. And I remember she said to me, her name was Shelly. She says to me, she said, they have such a good sprinter. And I said, yeah, I know. So do we. Right. And she just looked at me because she realized I met her. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the key is that people don't see themselves. And I, I used to tell the, the swimmers, I, I still remember standing on the pool deck trying to explain to the people that weren't good, the people that never won. The people that, and, and I was like this as a swimmer, even though I swam growing up, um, I didn't win my first race until I was a senior in high school. And I never went to state ever, but I, I showed up every day and for years. And I tried to convey that to my high school swimmers. You know, when you win and we did, we had a great team. Uh, yeah, you have to have fast people. But if you don't have the people to fill out the relay team so that you can place in the relays, you will lose the meet. Um, and I would, I would try to express to them how valuable they were and how I had the most experience, the most respect for them because they were coming out every day 
if you go out and it's the same for one, and if you know you can win, if you know you might even have a chance at being on the podium, that's pretty great inspiration and motivation. But what about the people that will never be? And they keep at it. They're doing it for their own satisfaction. And it was the same with those girls that would show up at swim practice every single day and they were not ever going to win. And I tried to express to them how tremendous my respect was for them. Because, I mean, that just showed character. And they were so important to us winning swim meets. And I, so I've always done that with everybody. I, I had a kid when I was teaching uh, high school in a, the worst neighborhood in Tampa. And he came to class once and he was wearing an ankle bracelet, which meant he'd been in jail over the weekend. So this is not just a kid that might be occasionally disruptive. He was, you know, in and out of the jail system already. I was teaching ninth grade, but I never had trouble with him. And I think it's because he was, I told him what a good writer he was. And where other teachers, he would give them a fit. I never had any trouble with him because I made him feel good about himself. And so he thrived in my classroom. He didn't care if he ever passed, but he had a reason to work. And I think that, so I think as a coach, it's, it's all about convincing anybody that they can do whatever they want to do. Yeah, and I'm I'm not surprised that you have uh, found yourself migrated over to running because the, swimming and track are almost identical as far as how they approach the meet itself. It is a combination of individual effort that gets into a, an aggregate for the team itself. But you don't have, aside from the relays, you really don't have that, you know, football or track or soccer or basketball where you're working together in the moment. But the coaching strategy is exactly the same as what you just outlined in swimming. And it's just a different function, but there's so many ways that they're very, very similar. So really um, emphasizes to me why this was something that was such a natural transition for you as a coach to get into helping people move into the running aspect. Yeah, you, you have to get you have to you have to convince them how important it is to compare themselves to themselves, you right. know, compare themselves to um, who they used to be. And, and that can, with older runners like like me, um, a lot of times you have to convince them not to compare themselves the old old themselves from 10 years ago <laughs> they you only, only compare yourself to last yourself if you do better than last month okay but you know you can't go back or at least you can have maybe a decade pr but don't go you can't go back beyond that well i don't know who you're coaching deb but i'm exactly the same as i was three decades ago <laughs> <laughs> not changed whatsoever exactly just as handsome and just as young so, uh, you know, as you're talking about that, I think that, you know, uh, some coaches use the phrase uh, borrow confidence so that your athletes can borrow your confidence from them. Mm -hmm. As you've moved into Run Tampa and we saw in the human race documentary, if you have these uh, women and men coming to you that have never run and they're 60 years old, how do you help them gain that confidence that they can run a half marathon? by giving them the confidence to run a mile you know <laughs> yeah these you know people I, I was just talking to somebody yesterday you know whose who, uh, goal is to run she's probably in her 50s and she's only reaching for a 5k um but then i talked to somebody else that it says five years from now i want to run a marathon and I, I'm just, that's the way it should be you know yeah yeah but, but most people 
Um, I, I say should be. I, I don't, I'm not suggesting everybody should want a marathon because I definitely don't feel like everybody has to. And, and you know, because some people think, oh, I haven't made it unless I do a marathon. I don't believe that at all. But too many people try to reach too far too fast. What I'm saying. And uh, so first, you get people to just reach for that mile, and then when they realize they do that, they, then it's not too much of a reach to convince them that they can do a 5K. It's so often with people my age, it's a matter of getting them to, they'll say, well, I'm just a walker. But if you actually get them to walk more and then you say, you know, run 15 steps. I always, with somebody that wants to be a runner, I, that's where I always start them if they say, I can't. And I always say, here's what you do. You walk a mile, walk a mile every day for a couple of weeks. Then I want you, after you walk a mile, to run 15 steps, just 15. And then the next day, run 15 steps, walk three minutes, run 15 steps, and then build up like that. And everybody looked at me and said, well, I can do that. And I say, okay, then, then you can run. Think about it. Do the math. It yeah, might take you yeah. a year, but you'll, you'll be running a 5K. And, uh, and it always works. And the other thing is when you have them walking such, uh, running such short, uh, I, I think I said walking 15 steps anyway, I meant running, but um, they can concentrate on their form a lot when they're only doing 15 steps. And I think it's so critical for their success if they learn good form from the beginning. So I can give them something really important to focus on, form. Exactly the same form as I would teach somebody running their first half or their first marathon. It never changes. So why not dwell on that at the beginning? It makes them feel more confident that they're learning to do it correctly. And that way they don't have to unlearn bad habits later on. And they're less likely to get injured. And that's the other thing. When people that start running quit and then see themselves as, I failed. It's one of two things. Either they hated it because they tried to run too hard, too fast, or too much before they were ready, or they got injured. So if you can get them running shorter distances and progressing more gradually and get them working on their form from the beginning, what, what you're doing is you're ensuring their success. And they can feel it from the very beginning, from the first mile, they start to believe they can do it. You can do one mile, obviously you can do two miles. What are uh, some of your techniques to uh, rein people in from their natural instincts to want to push too hard too fast? Honestly, that's probably the very hardest thing. Because the biggest problem with beginner runners is their enthusiasm. It's the very <laughs> best thing about them. It's the best thing and it's the worst thing yeah. because it's a double-edged sword. I was working with some, uh, I think it was actually the first season that I coached um, some beginner runners and they were so incredibly enthusiastic. And a lot of times they would get to the park ahead of me and it was, I, and I still do it. They, they usually have a walk a whole mile for These are beginning beginners. So they have to walk a mile for And I got to the park and they had gotten there ahead of me because some people would come right after work and they said, we already did our whole mile. So we can just start with the workout. And this is about probably two months after we started. So I said, okay. So I let them start with the workout. Well, in fact, they had only walked like half a mile, which this mm. came out later. Right. Um, and they all had shinsmen 48 hours later. It's just <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't cut the warm-up short and you can't advance too quickly 
And it's just, that's where coaching helps tremendously. Because I, I say to people all the time, you know, if you go about becoming a runner or trying to become a better runner, the way you do everything else in life, it never works. Because we've all been taught by our parents, the harder you work at something, the faster you'll reach success. And that can ruin a runner because they go out and run too hard, too often, and they become overtrained. And instead of improving, they get worse. And then they get demoralized and they get injured. And sometimes they, they never come back. They never learn to love it because they were, they were working too hard. At it. So as a coach, one of the best ways I can help runners is to say, stop working so hard every day. <laughs> Don't go out there. Money. I see them all the time. They're looking at that watch and I think, you're really trying to get faster. I can see that's important, but you're doing exactly the wrong thing. I think she's you met know? us before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, because that's what people learn, you know, and that's where working with the coach makes such a big difference. You know, I, I had this one uh, young man, you know, we have a McGill Air Force Base here in, in town and he came to me. He was 30, very, very fit looking. And he said, I want to go to airborne school. I have to run two miles in. I want to say it was 16 minutes. And he said, I've been trying and trying and I can't do it. And I have to do that to qualify. And I said, well, what are you doing now to train? I run as hard as I can every day. I'm running, I'm running seven days a week. I go to the track every day. Well, I didn't even need to get out there with him. I could just fix that over the phone. I said, <laughs> well, that's what you're doing wrong. I want you to go build up one run longer, longer than two miles on the weekend, gradually over a period of weeks. And the rest of the week, I want you to take it easy. You can run every day, but take it very easy, except once or twice you see it. Two weeks later, he did it. He passed his test. It was that easy. He was yeah. just working too hard. And not so the, the point is that he wasn't letting his body rebuild between the workouts. So it was just getting more and more run down. You know, it's refocusing what it means to work hard in that moment. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that they feel like they, well, they know that they're working hard, but that work is not pounding the pavement. That work is letting your body recuperate and rest and, and having to incorporate that into their frame of mind. And I also think it's great. It only took you two weeks. <laughs> it was, well, because he was young and healthy and sure. everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but he just needed that uh, extra little understanding of how to crest that last little bit. He pushed himself up there, but he couldn't get it because he wasn't doing the final training pieces that got him over that, that finish line. Exactly. And what you're saying is it's about mindset. Work hard at training correctly. Right. And then you can work really hard because for some people, you know, running attracts so many type A personalities and they're the ones that struggle the most a lot. So they have to channel that uh, that personality into just learning what to do and holding themselves back so that they can improve. And I think uh, we're seeing a lot of that right now. You know, January is notorious for I'm going to go on a diet and lose weight. I'm going to go back to the gym. I'm going to do all of these things. And people have all this enthusiasm for doing it, which is great. But I feel like what they really need to do is they need to take that one month of January enthusiasm, divide it by 12 and spread it out over the year. Exactly. Exactly. I, I just started something recently. I just actually started January 1 for my Run Tampa Club. And I call it the Run Tampa Accountability Project. And I have a spreadsheet. 
and oh, every person the first day of the month enters the spreadsheet in there how many miles they plan to do for the whole month and then at the end of the month they make one more entry they enter how many miles they actually did and then at the and then i go in i will go in at the end of this month and if they ran at least as many miles as was their goal and their goal could be 10 miles if there's no rule no yeah. minimum if they met that or exceeded it then i'll change that cell on the spreadsheet to gold and then if they get a gold cell every month for the entire year i have i'll have special shirts made you know and they will be gold so you know people people need things to keep them going incentives for the whole year yeah, they do. And also, uh, Nicholas got really excited when you said the word spreadsheet. Spreadsheets. He may love spreadsheets more than he loves any human out there on Earth. <laughs> well, we need to talk because I'm terrible at spreadsheets. Oh, man. I, I learned was... just enough just so I can do a Google spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. See, I, the first thing I was thinking was uh, you don't actually go in and, and make the cell gold yourself. You've got a conditional format set for that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's two words I don't oh know. Oh my God. This this podcast could take a direction that we do not want it to go. I well, love well, without going too much further, uh, or without getting uh too far away from it, um, that is my motivation personally, is is seeing putting those numbers in front of me, seeing it happen and then tracking it. So uh I found out early on that that really kept me engaged. So, you know, in each of us have that that we have to find that works. So you know, for me, it's the metrics and the numbers and the spreadsheet and the yeah. figuring out how to change the colors. And that's just fantastic. Yeah. And I love the numbers too, but I just let my Strava app or you my do. Garmin <laughs> app do it for me. And I just kind of check in on those. I'd love to go back to when you started Tampa, uh, Run Tampa, and how did it get started? And how have you kept it going so long and created such a large group of runners? Well, when I started Run Tampa, basically I had started... Uh, I had started running trails a lot. My husband and I had been mountain bikers. I know that sounds strange when you live in Tampa, Florida. Um, well, can we just say hill bikers? Are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and our hills are golf courses, you know, yeah. occasional trips. But um, I wanted, to, I was running trails, but I, I am such a people person and I wanted people to run with. But I found that most of my running friends would not they were afraid to run trails. They're afraid they get lost. Did they want to know where the water is? Where's their bathroom? So I started organizing trail runs and inviting every trail runner. I mean, every runner I knew. And I, I can remember when I would get so thrilled uh, if I had 20 people. I would make a list on my way home of how many people so I could count the names. And I still have the attendance from the very first one I ever did when I had 12 people. Uh, now I've had a, I've had 70. Um, wow. usually it averages around 40, yeah. but, um, uh, it just, it, it grew. And then we were having, I had people saying, well, we want to travel and do a race together. And I thought, hmm, if I'm going to be traveling with people and making plans, I should know their last name. <laughs> I should, it should be a little more involved. And then they also want to start having parties. So I decided, okay, well, we'll make it an official club. And so we did, and uh, you know, I was, and and I joined. I created a Facebook group about that time, <laughs> and I, I was so thrilled when the Facebook group had a hundred people. I was, yeah, over yeah. And just last week, our Facebook group hit six thousand. 
So wow. that's how far we've come in all that time. Yeah. And that, and that Facebook group. So, you know, as far as what I do for the community, the, the Facebook group is a big part of it because of course they're not all paying me money. I, my club now has about 500 people, mm-hmm. but um, most of those people in that group are just members of the running community. And it, it, it's a wonderful place where they can all just discuss whatever. And, and they do. I mean, that, uh, I've had as many as 28,000 interactions in that Facebook group in one month. So it's, it's busy all day long every day. And it, uh, so it's an opportunity for people to make connections to find races. And, um, but uh, yeah, so it just grew. And I think the reason, I, I think the reason it's as successful as it is is because it's so inclusive. I make a very big deal about the slowest person is every bit as important as the fastest person. And, you know, it's like I said before, the fast people are, they're always rewarded because they, it feels good to be fast. I guess it feels good to be better than everybody else and uh, to get rewards. But it's the average that I, I, I work mainly, I work with the uh, middle of the packers and the very beginner. So they all feel included. I, I just put a great emphasis on diversity and making everybody feel welcome and one person is just as important as everybody else. So uh, I, I've, for years, I've done what I call a zigzag run at the group runs, which is I would start with the people at the front and then turn around and run with the next group and then turn around and run with the next, because we've never tried to stay in a pack. If, if you try to stay in a pack, some people are trying to run faster than is comfortable, or some people are having to slow down more than is comfortable. Right. So in our group runs, we get in a big circle. And you can see the circle uh, in the human race uh, that we were at, at uh, Safety Harbor that day. And I introduce every single person and make announcements. And then we just leave. And uh, over the years, some we've actually experimented with pace groups. And it did not work. Um, <laughs> people would be at the group and they'd say, or, or, or another thing, we tried to go around the circle and people would say how many miles they're going to do. Well, that's super intimidating intimidating nobody wants to say they're going to do two miles when most of the group is saying six or eight or ten and then some people would say well i've already done ten i'm going to do three more well imagine what that feels like to somebody who's never done three miles nonstop. yeah so we just i introduce everybody and then we leave and if some people you know start out walking that's fine if they want to do a walk run that's fine there are no rules it's totally unstructured by design and, uh, and, you know, everybody's chatting at the beginning and then chatting when we go to breakfast. And so the slowest person can become friends with the fastest person. And it's, uh, so it, it's the family atmosphere that makes it work. And I, you know, I, I just think that that's the secret. And I kind of kept it small as far as doing, uh, you know, running everything myself because I can make sure that the attitude is right, that everybody feels included. Because I don't ever want it to be that, in, that, that group where, uh, you know, you have to be fast to be one of the cool kids. You know, we have plenty of really fast people in our club, uh, but they're, they're kind to everybody else and they treat everybody else well. And that's why it works. You know, everybody loves being friends with somebody that's fast and being able to be excited when they get on the podium. Uh, and but just we have those people we have that get on the podium they're they treat everybody as equals and it makes everybody feel good so it works it, it really is like a family 
Yeah, and we see that with our running community as well. The um, willingness of everybody to accept where everybody else is in their own running point. You know, not everybody's a 750 miler or a nine minute miler. Uh, one of our favorite, in fact, not even one, our favorite race of all is Hood to Coast. And I'm not, if you're not familiar with it, we'll certainly get you uh, opened <laughs> up to it because it's, it's fantastic. But when I invite team members to fill uh, a space on that, that's always the pushback. Well, I'm, I'm not a fast runner. You know, they're kind of intimidated and really have to emphasize doesn't matter. Yeah, we don't care. You know, it's, it's, it's about finishing the race and all of us being out there and enjoying our time. And if you run, I just need to know that you run 10 minutes per mile. So I know when to be at the next spot to pick you up. That's all. Yeah. And actually (laughs) if your teammates are slower runners, you get to rest more because it's a relay. So slower runners are more than welcome to join our team. I I kicked off that guy that ran a five fifty mile. He was, he was killing us. I'm like, dude, I didn't get any sleep. (laughs) Exactly. I totally, I get it. Uh, I was just curious, what are some of the uh, the challenges logistically of having a larger group with a broader range of uh, paces and uh, distances and yet wanting everyone to kind of, not wanting, but, you know, how, how do you finish around the same time? Do you try and work that in or is it just if it happens, it happens? We actually can't uh, finish around the same time. Uh, and, and we will have people <clears throat> like tomorrow, we have a group run at Safety Harbor and we'll have people that run for three hours and we'll have people run for 30 minutes. Um, so we don't have people all finishing at the same time. Um, one of the benefits of having a large group is that it, it's a challenge to keep it feeling like a family when it's that big. But at the same time, if a running group is too small, then you won't have enough people at each pace and uh, you know that's the key if if you only have one other person to run with that's fine the difference between that and running by yourself is nine days and uh, my biggest struggles with the people that are at the very beginning or they walk and our motto in fact run tampa on the website or or on our shirt that has said for ever since the first year running walking racing off and I try to live by that. And so if somebody wants to walk, that's fine. <laughs> and I used to really in, try to inspire the, the walkers to come out, but I, it's so frustrating because if you can't get three or four, then they won't come back. And it, it, it will never fail. So one person comes and walks and they don't come back. Yeah. Uh, because walking is great fitness too. And when people are injured, they need to walk a lot of times. So, um, but I, I don't try to make sure everybody finishes at the same time. People will say, well, how far is the run tomorrow? It's as far as you want it to be. Right. I mean, when I say it's unstructured, it really is. I will publish, I always publish a map and they know uh, the basic distance. Um, like if they want to go 10 miles, but you can turn around here to go six or turn around here to go three. And I tell everybody, you, you turn around whenever you want. And after they've been to enough group runs, they have friends who they can plan ahead. They're going to go this far. They know they're the same speed. They'll run together. And then they go to breakfast together. We don't always arrive at the restaurant at the same time. Some people are leaving when the other people are coming. And that's fine. Um, so it, it's, it's very um, loosely organized um, by design. And that's, that's why it works. And I'd love to come back and touch a little bit more on the community and how important that is. I mean, we all know in this modern society, when people are spending too much time on their devices and not enough time with others, how important is that to you and the members that you're really close with to have that community? 
And how important has that been, especially during this year with COVID? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, the, it, it means everything. And it, like I stopped group runs for oh, about three months, which was very weird. Um, during that whole time, I would go once a week with my best friend uh, up to Croom, which is uh, a wooded area an hour north of here, and we would run 10 to 12 miles in the woods over a period of usually two, well, more like three hours. And that, that just saved my sanity because, you know, I needed to be outside, I needed to be running. And, uh, and, I, and virtually everybody I know did that, you know, even when we couldn't have group runs, they were out running, even if they were running by themselves. Um, but then we were able to start running again for a while in June. Uh, but then after a few weeks, things got so bad here, I felt like I had to close down runs again. But what I did is in May, I had, a, I decided, okay, we need something. And so I created the challenge that it was called the 100 miles in May challenge. And that's when I, I made the first spreadsheet, or actually I had, I had one of our members do it who actually knew how to do it. <laughs> and then I thought that was it. <clears throat> I thought, you know, one time we had like over 200 people finished. And they were oh, nice. thrilled and it was exciting and uh, it really boosted everybody's spirits. And a lot of people said, I've never run 100 miles in a, a month before. And, uh, but when they finished, everybody started saying, okay, Deb, what's next? And I thought, oh, okay. Uh, so then <laughs> I came up with the uh, 150 mile, uh, it was called the firecracker challenge around, you know, in July. And they had to uh, run 150 miles but they could also do 50 of it on the bike and, or they had to do some of it. And then after we finished that one, they were saying, okay, what's next? So then I came up with the high hundred, which was in August, and they had to run 15 of those miles on trails because I wanted people to get on trails more. <clears throat> so I, that's the way I kept people motivated uh, when we weren't running together. Um, and then, but in August, I also started up the group runs again. And uh, it's been it's been difficult because I have had to, you know, insist that people wear masks when we're in a group before and after. Um, but, and you know, say, hey, get apart, you know. And uh, but it, it's just been critical for me, just even when we weren't running as a group, when you see somebody on one of the trails and they were 20 feet away, I, I want to cry because I just was so happy like not seeing a family member for a long time. So I, I feel like this has been so helpful to keep people um, motivated and uh, just to keep them going. And uh, it's been hard for people not having races. But I think there is, I think in all of this, there's a good, a good element. Um, I, on the trails I've been on in the last year, I've seen more families outside together exercising than ever before. I've seen, I've seen in my, I have an online coaching program on my uh, Mojo for Running related to my, my podcast. And within, by March, I've seen at least probably triple the number of people joining. And I don't even, I don't even publicize that or market it. I only talk about it on my podcast. But people were finding it in the Beginner Runner Village, which is for people who don't run at all. They were discovering that. So I think I think people are finding, hey, I'm working from home now. I have an extra hour every day. I'm finally going to become a runner. And so I think some really good things have happened. And also people have needed the camaraderie more than ever. 
So I've had, uh, in the last six months, I've had a hundred new members wow. join the club. And you wouldn't think at this time that would happen, but it, I've gotten so many new members and that's why it, and also they can communicate and, and there's a lot of camaraderie in that Facebook group. I, I think it's fantastic as well to see that that as a silver lining, it is getting more people outside to do more physical activity because it allows for them to do that in a, in a much safer way. I mean, I can't exactly. imagine going to the gym right now. And, I mean, and I've, it's, I've never... it's healthy mentally. It's just so, yeah, definitely. So good mentally. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we want to be safe, but it seems, you know, I've read a ton of CDC guidelines and the research, and it seems like if we're outside and we're masked up when we're in our group, um, and then, you know, we have our masks on whenever we're passing people, if we're running and we're eight feet apart from each other, there doesn't seem to be any data of transmission on that. So it's a, a wonderful way to get out and have fresh air and be around people because, man, humans need humans. Oh, they need humans so now more than ever, you know. Uh, I, I feel sorry for teachers because it's, it's hard to never yeah. be able to, you know, get close to your students, you yeah. know, and uh, uh, you, you can't even, you can't pat them on the back or, or you know, on the head or whatever. It's, it's hard. It's really difficult. And, uh, but seeing their eyes, they're still, it's so much better just to look into their face and hear their voice. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. The, the science, science says you're not, it's not getting transmitted when you're, when you're on a trail eight feet apart from somebody else. So thank goodness for that. So, I mean, we're definitely, we have our group runs. We've been back having group runs now since August. So. Yeah. Our group is uh, fairly small. Uh, There's just five or six of us, but just knowing that we can, you know, see each other and we get that run kicked off, that accountability, that camaraderie. Oh man, that has gone so far uh, in the last several weeks and months. Um, you brought up some great challenges. <laughs> we we kind of parlayed that ourselves. Our our uh, carrot, our incentive for uh, those that want to join our run is beer. Uh, we set up a beer challenge to, to run the circumference of Oregon, basically over the course of the summer, it's a, it's a team, a team event that we log your miles to, to run when we at, we're at 1500 right now for the total. Some, it might even be over 2000. I'll have to go check and see. Yeah. And, and you get a, a beautiful metal shape, like a beer can with the state of Oregon. <laughs> so, so how many miles, how many beers? Are- uh, so uh, there's. 15 breweries that we'll be running to. Um, and we had to pair. I don't know if you're familiar with Oregon and our, and our we, beer we culture breweries. <laughs> everywhere. Uh, so yeah, you start in Portland and then basically run uh, around, uh, hit all the major breweries and then end, end up in Portland again. And it is, it is right around 1500 miles. Yeah. So, and if you, uh, if you have a group of six, um, you each average about 80 miles a month, you're going to finish within the three months. So if you do a hundred miles, you'll finish a little bit earlier and, you know, get to be at the, the top of the leaderboard for a group, but just something fun for people to do. I love it. I, I, yes, I, I love Portland. It's been a, a week there a couple of years ago. Yeah. But coffee and Beer. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. The breweries are everywhere. The coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker, so I, I was trying to hit all the, all the, uh, oh, coffee. okay. Well, we, we can create a tour for you next time you're here. My daughter and she and her husband are, uh, we're really enjoying all the breweries. Well, uh, we'll definitely have to get a, uh, run Tampa team on the, uh, or old crazy runner original beer run. Yeah. 
and uh, we'll send you some coupon coats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good. Uh, people will be fighting for those. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be uh, it'll definitely be a good time. And we struggled with the virtual races and that transition and, and having to lose the in person, and are so excited for how things look for 2021 because it really does feel like we will at least have something probably second half of the year. I mean, get back into it. But in the meantime, these little motivators are are really, really important. So I'm curious if you have a new year, if you've got a couple new months lined up or you've got some motivation for your team. Well, the first motivation just to get started in January one was that um, the, uh, the run Tampa accountability project, but uh, I definitely have, in fact, I guess I could reveal it. There probably is going to be something for Run Tampa. I haven't told anybody yet, but the, the, the name of it is going to be the search for Sasquatch. And my husband, who is an artist, has already designed a really cool metal on a, it's going to have, well, I, I don't want to reveal, reveal too much, but it's really neat. And it's going to re- require people to go to a, a wide variety of places in the Tampa Bay area and run at least one mile in each of those different locations. So it gets people out of their comfort zone, like if they haven't been to certain parks, uh, like the River Walk, or maybe they haven't ever run uh, the, the Causeway, or they haven't run the, uh, um, the Felipe Park, or, you know, I was born in Tampa, so I know all the most beautiful places to run, and it, there's a long list. And so the goal will be to get people to all of those places. So that that's the big thing we have coming up. But I'm, I'm kind of taking a, uh, a little bit of a breather. Uh, I also had another one at the end of the year. We just finished December uh, 31st, which was uh, the, the Gnome Fest 250 Challenge, where they had to run 250 miles in three months, a little bit less than three months. So we, we just finished that December 31st. And, uh, and for that one was more official. It was, it was uh, we actually, uh, they paid for that and had shirts and medals and everything. So, uh, so yeah, I have, and then we have, uh, last year, we, our club always picks destination races. We vote on them. And last year we were supposed to do the San Diego Marathon in half and the Twin, Twin City Marathon and Ten Mile. And of course, both of those got canceled. So we now are planning to do both of those this year. Um, but we have to see, um, the one, uh, San Diego in June. We, we can't know for sure if that's going to happen, but we're yeah. counting on it. We're hoping that's going to be and right we, on the edge. I think exactly. So it might. We just have to wait and see. Hopefully, Twin Cities. That's in October. That's definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, if if uh, I can get my vaccine before June, uh, San Diego is a quick flight for us. I can go go down there and join you for a yes. half. That'd be that would a lot be of great. Fun. And uh, I so, get my vaccine tomorrow. Oh, oh man. man, so jealous. It <laughs> that pays is awesome. to be 67. <laughs> you are, yeah, my parents are uh, 71 and they just got moved. Uh, it was 75 years old here and it got moved down to 65. So they are right in that sweet spot. So they're pretty excited too. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. That's going to be great. I'd love to now dive into kind of your personal running. You qualified for Boston recently. Yeah. I actually ran, I got to run the last Boston 2019. Uh, Yeah. And that was of all the, of all of my running adventures in the last 43 years, that was by far. That was 
because I was never an elite runner. And, you know, I, I, I started placing occasionally when I was in my 40s in small 5Ks. Uh, so I never thought I would be able to qualify for Boston. Uh, but, you know, it just kind of shows you that if you just really buckle down and try hard for a while, um, it, it, you know, everything, I, I just decided, okay, I'm going to do it. That was in 2018 and uh, just did everything, worked really hard at my diet that year. I uh, started going to CrossFit, which I thought I would never do, but I did that for uh, uh, six months. Um, and. Uh, or drove 30 minutes to, to just the right CrossFit where they would, I would get lots of special attention. And uh, uh, it was, it, that made a difference. I lost 10 pounds. I trained religiously. Uh, I did all of my long runs on the Clearwater Bridges so that I had lots of uh, hill work. And uh, yeah, it, just, it was, it was remarkable. It was, it was the best race of my life. I, I actually qualified with uh, a 20 minute cushion. Oh, so, wow. so I was, so what was your, your qualifying time? We my qualifying know. time then was uh, 444 and I finished in 424. Nice. nice. That so is a speedy I, marathon. Uh, I, it was just, yeah, it was like a magical day. And, uh, and of course when I, and then when I did Boston and then, and then uh, three weeks after that marathon, when I was still so trained up and so fit, I was uh, leaving to do my very first race after that, and I was carrying a cooler out of the house and tripped on the doorway and fell and broke my big toe in oh, all geez. the ligaments that attached the big toe. Oh. So I, you know, I couldn't wait to do some more races when I was so fit. And um, then, uh, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't even, I could walk, but that was about it for the first five weeks, for the next five weeks after that. But um, yeah, so for me, not having ever been a elite runner and, uh, and even when I was a swimmer for not really being good, uh, to be able to qualify for Boston, just, it was amazing. And when I did it, I was actually entered when I ran Boston, so I didn't have an especially uh, good time, but still, I was so high on excitement that whole time. I shot a video when I crossed the finish line and I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. I, yeah. I felt like I'll never get back here again. <laughs> but of course now I say, yeah, I'm going to definitely try and qualify. Yeah. For somebody who's been a runner as long as me, um, you know, Boston is just, it's the ultimate. It, it being around that many people that love running as much as, as I do. It was, uh, it was just, so, it was so magical. It's, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. That is uh, a true testament to putting that goal out there and incrementally pacing yourself to make sure it happened. And you mentioned that you ran your qualifying time with a bit of an injury. So you also had to incorporate that into, okay, how do I make sure this doesn't impede me on the race that I want to be at my best? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was not injured when I qualified. That was oh, I'm my sorry. breakout race. I was in great shape then. But then I, I, I broke my toe and then that wasn't even then, then just about the time I started to build back up, I started having uh, hip trouble. And so, and I, it, it, now it's been two years and I've been, I've logged, I, I've, I counted, I've been to 60 medical visits, including massage therapy, acupuncture, orthopedist, uh, 
sports doctor, MRI, CT scan, everything, uh, and lots of physical therapy over the last three years. And the whole time I've been able to run because uh, they can't figure out what's wrong. It has something to do with nerves and sciatica and stuff. Um, but my point being that uh, but the, when I did Boston, when I actually ran it, that the hip was just, yeah, screaming. So I wasn't able to, you know, run the kind of time I'd like to. Um, but, you know, my doctors were all the time saying, you know, you're not hurting yourself running. There was no tear or nothing they could see on an x-ray. So there are a lot of running ex- injuries like, that, you know. Um, so I now I have to uh, just temper my running with when it gets too bad, then I have to back off. But really what makes it bad is sitting. <laughs> it never hurts when I run. Uh, unless, <laughs> uh, I mean, no it did in that race. And occasionally it'll act up and get where yeah, I have to cut back my runs. But most of the time it doesn't. So, but, you know, that's, that's part of running. Everybody goes through periods when uh, they struggle with something. And uh, the good thing about having run as long as I have is that, you know, you're always going to get back to it. If something takes you out of running for a while, it's not like you're not, you're not a runner anymore. The hardest part is when you can't run for some reason. Uh, you know, non-runners, they think the hardest part is the running. The running is so grueling. And you and I know, no, 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 that's the good part. The hard part <laughs> yeah. is when you have an injury. And it's agony when you can't get out there with your friends and run like you want to. So, but unfortunately, newer runners, I think that is a really big problem for them. They get injured and they start thinking, well, I don't have the body for it. I, you know, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm not meant to be a runner. And that's heartbreaking because you know very well that they could be. And I think, you know, this whole story about qualifying for Boston at 65 is a great message for all of our listeners. You know, you, you said that your greatest athletic achievement happened when you were 65. Yeah, yeah, really. And that all that means is you just kept running and kept putting in those miles and kept doing what you needed to do and you kept improving. And what's awesome is that every five years we enter a new age group. <laughs> That's the yeah, best part exactly. of running, right? Every five years we suddenly magically get a little bit faster. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I actually qualified. I was 64, but I could qualify with my 65 time because you qualify for, you know, you have to do the oh, time that would that's magic. qualify you for the next Boston. So, oh, yeah, that's I'm the already, best. I'm already focused on when I hit 70 if I don't qualify before then. You know, running is the only, isn't it? That's like the only sport where you, you can't wait to age up. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I think they should uh, make a, a more of a medal, like uh, emphasize that achievement. Of hitting those these metrics at the uh, the peak ages. Yeah, you should get extra like you know extra weight on the medal, and then your age on there, and maybe some fireworks coming off or something that that really you know shows off that uh, you accomplished what you did at sixty five. Well, yeah, I mean, I I put on one race a year called the uh, the tinsel one, and when I uh, when I do it, I I make sure there are first, second, and third place awards for seventy. 75 or 70 74 75 79 80 to 84 or because you know there are a lot of races where they don't go up that high and i have friends that are in that age group yeah and i can't stand the fact that they i did a race once and the oldest age group was 40 and up <laughs> you're like we're I not dead yet come on angry i was <laughs> 
have a whole bunch of old people you shaking got, their canes you, at the directors. We gotta you gotta turn that around and, and point at the forty year old and be like, Oh yeah, you're proud. Yeah. You, you, you had to compete against us, you're proud. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, it, it this particular race, I was looking at the awards because I was drooling over it because they were beautifully carved uh, out of wood. And when I saw the top eight group, uh, I actually did have a few words with the race director. <laughs> <laughs> I would almost never do that, but I was so upset. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It was just insulting. Before we let you go, one of the things we always love to do with people because uh, runners love their gear. So what is your favorite shoe to run in for yourself? Oh, I am in love with Alphas. I, I used to run in Alphas and Hocus, and I still do run in my Hocus sometimes. But I really only like the original Hoka that was. I actually bought extra pairs when, <laughs> when they changed it. Get them anymore. Yeah, it was like the original Clifton. Yeah. One. And I even bought, bought used ones on, on eBay, <laughs> oh, uh, that's... but eventually, and when I qualified for Boston, by the way, I, they, they reissued the classic and I bought two pair then, and that's what I qualified in. Oh, nice. But, um, but now I can't get them anymore. Uh, but I do love outfits. What, what is it that you love about them? My foot is skinny at the back. The heel is real skinny. My whole foot is bony, but my forefoot, the bone is wide. And so it's perfect. It has that really wide forefoot. And I just feel so good in them. So I like that. And then I love that it's zero drop because I think, I think that's ideal. So, uh, yeah, they've worked very well for me. I probably have five pairs of them right now. And that's the only thing my husband wears too. So big belief. And do you have a uh, favorite uh, running watch that you like to use? Uh, yeah, I have a Garmin 735 XP. Ooh, that's a that, fancy one. I, well, because I do triathlons too, or I used to do one triathlon a year, you know, with my swimming background. Now. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of fit for that, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a horrible cyclist. So I only, <laughs> only do them occasionally, but, uh, I do swim. I do swim regularly, except now because I'm a baby and too cold, uh, even in Tampa, but. Uh, yeah, but that's why I got that one so that I could come in it because the other thing is mainly because I don't, I don't worry about my time when I swim, but it counts my lap and I need to, my mind needs to go places besides counting laps when I'm swimming. So yeah, I like that one. I'm trying to imagine the engineering that goes into having a watch know that you've turned the corner and, and gone yeah, back on a but lap. It's actually <laughs> accurate. That's some science right there. Yeah, that's that's. They used to have one that you could wear on your finger, and you had to click it every time you hit the wall. I never got one of those old-fashioned. But my brother will swim thousands of yards, and he just oh, I I can't do. So Nicholas, do you think that uh, she has to worry about uh, rain gear in Tampa? Uh, Yes, actually, (laughs) Uh, it it, surprisingly rains. uh, The rainfall can be a little heavy. Doesn't come as so. We might get the same amount of rain rain uh, o- over the course of the year as Tampa, but they're going to get it in three days <laughs> randomly, and we're going to get it in a drizzle over yeah. 350 days. So do you oh. worry about rain year, or do you just avoid those uh, times in the day when it rains? Oh, no, I go out and run it. If it's not lightning, I love to run it. Um, and, you know, it rains. For us, the rainy season is June through August, and it'll rain every afternoon. Uh, 
but a lot of times it's thunderstorms and of course I don't run them, but usually you can avoid the rain. Uh, but I love running in the rain uh, and it's usually so warm here that uh, we don't, you know, if I wore any kind of rain jacket, you, you just can't handle that with the humidity and the heat that we always have. So we just run in the rain. You just get wet. I ran in the rain two days ago. Yeah, it's, 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 much it's, rain, it's different here where it's, <laughs> it's pouring down rain it's 40 degrees, 38 or 40 oh, degrees. See, I can never do that. <laughs> it, it, no, I don't, it, this, I don't like to go outside if it's cold. <laughs> Honestly, that's cold for me. Well, don't move to Portland. <laughs> yeah, you get used to where you're at. Um, and, you know, it really is interesting. We have uh, a handful of guests that have, you know, they live in different areas of the world. And so they just, each one of us gets acclimated to our running environment. And I know that you say you, you wouldn't want to, but I guarantee you would still run. You know, I probably you'd would. Find I just have to yeah. put on enough layers. I do have learned to wear layers. But yeah. But if I you're mean, like if us, I'm leading a group run, I can't cancel it because it's just going to be cold. That's right. That's right. You know, there's no giving up now. But the secret to running in the rain, though, here is anywhere, I think, it's just a hat so the rain doesn't run into your eye. I always wear a hat. For me, um, accepting I'm going to get wet. I mean, it seems so simple to say yeah. that, but you just, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder if I even want to put on a rain jacket. and I'm just going to get wet. Yeah. Just Surprisingly, get skin is waterproof. It really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just water. <laughs> well, what I struggle with, though, is, you, you know, you, you hear it and, you, oh, I don't, I can't run in the rain. I, I can't afford to get sick. And, you know, every, it's just water. And <laughs> That's especially here, sick. it'll be 80 degrees. Getting wet is not going to make you sick. But You're going to be I, fine. Know, it happens. I hear it regularly. So uh, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. For parting words, I'd love to hear a message to, we have a number of friends that are just starting running. They're training for their first 5K. What are the words of wisdom that you would give to them? Go slow. Start slow, run slowly. Um, I used to be an English teacher, so I have to put the L-Y on there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and progress gradually. That, that's the secret because then you won't get hurt and you'll feel good. You'll enjoy the journey. And really, we all know it's about the journey. Well, thank you so much for your time, Coach Deb. It's been great talking with you. Uh, I look forward to picking up a conversation again in the future. And as Bundy mentioned, finding a way to come down and join you for a run. Uh, Maybe I'll make it up there. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. Great. Coach Deb is amazing. She's she's awesome. I love her. I want to just go do all my runs with her. I really wish, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I wish I'm not in Tampa or glad I'm not, but that would be one reason, one really, really good reason to be down there. There was something I jotted down. She was talking about how she has struggled with her hip. Yeah. And, and I, I, I bet that that's probably tied to that toe injury and the adjustments or whatever. <laughs> I want to bring that back to the very first comment I'd written down, which was, none of that is all that difficult once the pain stops. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you want to be an old crazy runner? You want to get to be 65 and qualifying for the Boston Marathon. That is something that you actually have to embrace. All of us as runners can, can push our thresholds wherever we want. Be comfortable. Have it be whatever you want it to be. But if you do want to excel, if you want to really hit some top levels, that's the mentality you have to bring. 
That's what got her to Boston at 65 was realizing there's times that I have to simply get past this pain. Yeah. And smart enough to know that when you break your big toe, you can't run because you're going to mess it up more. But when you have those injuries that, as she said, hurt more when you're just sitting down on the sofa, yes. knowing that, hey, if I get out there and I do a slow first mile that and run through that pain, that pain's going to disappear because once I get everything moving, the pain's gone. And a plan to get to that next step. The, the plan didn't end and get derailed because of the injury. The plan got readjusted because yep. of the injury. So important. And, and that was something that she mentioned a few times that I think is really critical that we talk about is maintaining that focus to continue to get out there because it is so easy to start. It's even easier to stop. And it's, and it's so hard to ground. start back up too. Oh, Once you is. stop, it's so hard to start back up. And knowing that you're in for the long haul, right? We talked about right. that, getting all excited when you first start running. Don't get that excited. It's not that exciting when you first start running. It's that slow build. And that is really the joy is that slow build up and getting there. It took her 40 years to qualify for Boston. It did. 40 uh, years. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, but that's awesome. It's a slow burn, man. It, it, it can be. And I think you can be excited, but put that ex- give that excitement um, a target, yes. a, a race, something that you're going to do, something that actually makes you go out and achieve a metric that can be measured, and then break that down into that process to get there, and then string that excitement out along the way. Don't get burned out. It is, I mean, it's so common. We hear about it in so many different ways. And really, if you want this to be something that is going to benefit you for the remainder of your life, you say it best. You got to fall in love with the process. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate and review the podcast and always share it with your friends so they can join in with all of us for these great episodes. And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners podcast, Strava Run Club, because that's where all us old crazies hang out. It's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, to keep putting in the miles. And keep being old crazy runners.